Welcome. Uh, my name is Kelly, one of the pastors here, and uh, we're going to jump right into it because I don't trust myself this morning. Uh, we got a lot to get through, and uh, I'm trying to do you a favor, so, <laughs> okay. Um, we are continuing through our sermon series through the book of Nehemiah. Um, last week, we, t- we talked about, uh, does anybody remember the, what we said? We're an all y'all, remember that? All y'all kind of church. And um, w- what we came to the conclusion was, after reading chapter 3 of Nehemiah, you see all these names and all these people uh, being shoulder to shoulder, working together, and it was so-and-so was next to them, and so-and-so was next to them, and this person, and there were perfumers, there were jewelers, there were rulers, there were nobles, there were just common people, not construction workers, all working together to build the wall. And... Uh, what we said is that there's no such thing as professional Christians, right? There's no such thing as uh, me, the pastor, and it's my job, sole, my sole responsibility. Ryan, one of the pastors in the church, his sole job and responsibility, uh, it's you guys pay us somehow to do all the work of Christianity, all of Christendom, Christendom into the city of Chino. And you're, you're, you're saying, okay, we're paying you, and then you go do all the Christian work. No, we said... Because of this chapter, it reflects the truth of who we are as a, as a people, who God's called us to be into this city, and we said, no, this is all of us together, doing this work together. There's no such thing as us and them. We're all in a work together, and uh, it's an all-y'all kind of faith. It's an all-y'all kind of church, right? Amen? Yes, we're an all-y'all people, and uh, here, here's the thing that happens. When this becomes a reality, when this starts to sink in, to who we are as a people, that God has called every single one of us here together to the good works. Remember it said in chapter 2 how they, they came together and they strengthened their hands for the good work, right? And how we said that the strengthening of their hands was, was us encouraging one another and us encouraging ourselves in the Lord for the good work. When, when this reality starts to go just from hearing it and then we process it in our mind and then we allow the Holy Spirit to bring it from here. What would you say the longest distance is from your head to your heart, right? You ever said that? Uh, when, when the Holy Spirit helps bridge that gap and he brings it into our heart and we start to live out this all y'all kind of faith, what we'll see is inevitably is chapter four takes place. And um, I know some of you came this morning thinking, okay, we're going to hear a sermon about like how I can overcome and I'm gonna, all these good things are going to happen to me. Um, unfortunately, uh, this morning, it, I want to say, first of all, I love you, okay? And, uh, but because I love you, I would be wrong if I didn't tell you the reality of what happens when we put our hands to the plow. And I want to say two things And these are promises that you can count on for the rest of your life if you call yourself a disciple and if you have said, I believe that the church is not just a building, that I am the church. The church is the people. And it's these two things. We're going to be opposed and it's going to be hard work. (laughs) Woohoo! You guys excited about that one? Aren't you so glad you're here this morning, right? Yeah, all right. Thanks, Joel. I will. We're going to be opposed, and the good work that God has called us to, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard work. Um, So let's just jump into it. Nehemiah chapter 4, 
And we'll start reading here in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, uh, it'll be up on the screen. We read from the ESV, which is the English Standard Version. Um, So try to follow along with me. The first six verses of chapter 4, it says this. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. Jeered means to mock and to Uh, make threats and and make fun of. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will uh, Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? And then look at verse three. I always think of this as like, if you could take like a Gaston and LeFou kind of moment, if you know Beauty and the Beast. Or this is like, Sand Ballad is kind of like the, the, the main bad guy. And the main bad guy always has like his little minion, right? His little like Igor kind of thing. And then Tobiah pops in in, in verse 3 and says, The Ammonite was beside him and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall, Right? And Sanballat's like, dude, you're not doing me a favor. Just shut up, right? Kind of this whole situation. So you, you have these two guys opposing what's happening here. Verse 4, Nehemiah responds in such a godly way. He says this, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captive. So he prays. He says, Do not cover their guilt, and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Verse 6. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together. Look at this. To half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Isn't that awesome? So, so you see what's happening here. In, in chapter 3, so-and-so, Ryan's building next to Stephanie. Stephanie's building next to, to, to Marianne. And Marianne's building next to Isaiah. And Isaiah's building next to Melissa. Melissa's building next to, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's happening. And all the people are doing this together. And lo and behold, you think everything's going to go perfect because it's like, it's, that, it's, the, it's the 80s montage, which is happening right here in the Bible. Chapter 3, the 80s montage. I'm walking on sunshine, right? And everybody's smiling, building the wall, and all this stuff's going really well. And then all of a sudden, Sanballat and Tobiah come on the scene and they're jeering. They're making threats. Let's continue in chapter 4, verse 7. We'll read all the way to 12. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, so here they, they try to stop it, they try to make threats, they, they make fun. But it continues, they heard that it was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed. They were very angry. First one says they were angry, and now the next time it says they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Look how Nehemiah responds again. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. Verse 12, at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us, ten times, 
you must return to us. So the first time, Sanballat, Tobiah, make these threats. We don't like what you're doing. We're angry. You guys, what do you think you're doing? Well, let's just keep working. Second time, Sanballat and Tobiah, they were angry the first time. Second time, now they're really angry. And they, make, they don't just say threats. They say things like, you're not even going to see us coming. You're building this wall, and all of a sudden, boom, an arrow is going to hit you right in the chest, right? You know, in the movies, it's like, where did that come from? Everyone's looking around. Holy cow, and then the trumpet sounds. They're just on tippy toes, fearful about what's to take place. And you start to see that their faith, that their strengthening of their hands is starting to give way. They're starting to become fearful of what God has called them to. Here's, here's how, it, how it works. For us as a people and for us as individuals in a church, we listen to ridicule. Then ridicule turns into threats. And if we allow that to fester in our thoughts and in our hearts, the threats then become fear or discouragement And then if we continue to listen to the enemy and his opposition to us, fear and discouragement turns into quitting and submitting over to the enemy. You guys, I'm sure you could probably say, yeah, I've, I've seen that cycle happen in my life. I've seen where I felt like God had called me or called a group of people that I was a part of to something good, a good work. And then what happened is, we, in the moment, I was all excited. In the moment, I didn't understand. In the moment, I didn't really put together two and two is going to equal four. That if we put our hands to the good work, that the enemy will come with opposition. And when he did, he started speaking things. And I started believing them. And we as a people started believing them. And as we started to believe them, listening into those lies of the enemy, our hearts began to fail us and we became discouraged. And we looked at all the rubble around us and said, the work is too much. Even our own people you see here, the Jews say to them, come back to us. It's better in exile. It's better. Does this sound familiar to you? Remember when we went through the book of Exodus? Israel's going out into the wilderness. Israel's wandering around and they're saying, Moses, what have you done? Have you brought us out to the desert to die? We should go back to Egypt. And they start having these delusions of what Egypt was for some Remember when we had all this meat available to us? Remember our, our nice beds? And Moses is like, what are you talking about? Our, our Egyptian slave masters were harsh to us. And we can be guilty of what these people here are doing, and we see it over again, over again, and over again. And friends, I know that I encouraged this last week and said, hey, Come on, come on, church. Let's strengthen our hands, right? There's a good work that God has called us to. And then what happens is opposition sinks in. Opposition starts to take root. And if we're not careful, what we do is we look at the rubble that's around us. We look at all the work that has to be done. And we listen to the lies of the enemy. And we start to become discouraged. Let me make this real personal for us. I, I, you know what I love about us going through Nehemiah right now? I really feel that Nehemiah is extremely providential for us, specifically here at Chino. You know, uh, I got together with the other congregational pastors, with Alan and Nick and Kevin, 
who lead Whittier, uh, Fullerton, and Brea, and we got together and we said, what, 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 what would a good a book for us to go through? What, what were we feeling? And we're saying, okay, we think Nehemiah. And at the time, I don't think any of us realized how providential God was working in that planning. And, and so let me say this. I, I want to share a couple things that have happened just even recently within our congregation here. We were, at, we were at prayer a couple weeks ago. One of the girls comes up and says, I really feel like God is calling us to keep pushing, to keep plowing, to not lose heart. And I can't remember the exact words. And I was like, man, yes, I have been feeling that for a period of time now. To, to keep walking, putting one step uh, one foot in front of the other, to continue to uh, give ourselves to the good work that God has called us to. And, and she said something in the, in the sense of like, even though we're tired, even though we're laboring, even though we've been going for two years and the honeymoon stage of planting Southland's Chino is completely over and we're starting to feel like looking at the rubble, even though that is happening, continue with the good work. And then I got a text from somebody last week and it said this. It was, it was a picture that they felt that God had given them for our church. And this person said, there were people working in a field and working really hard, sweating, laboring with all their hearts. Some stopped working for a bit but kept working after a short break. Some stopped and sat and ended to watch others work. And some even threw their tools on the ground and walked away. Eventually, the, the, the tired and weary that were left dug deep and kept working. God looked down and said, keep working. I am not done yet. Believe in me and my promises. And I read that text, and I could have read that and go, oh, man, Oh, God, please, no, I don't want to read about how we're tired. I don't want to read about how some of us are wanting to give up. I don't want to read about that. I want to get a, I want to get a prophetic text I want to, about how the sun is going to shine and, and the rain's going to go away and all the seeds that you planted have, have borne tons of fruit and you're not going to know what to do with all this fruit and it's going to be coming out of your ears and you're just going to be, everything's going to be easy. I don't want to hear that. But at the same time, I was so encouraged because I was like, God, you are so faithful to let us go through a, a portion of Scripture that is speaking right to where we are. And I know for a fact that some of us here are tired. I'm tired. Has this been an easy two years for us? Man, I, I, think, I think this has probably been some of the hardest two years of my life. But I know what God's called us to. I know that Jesus has good works prepared for us. And I want to encourage you guys this morning. Opposition from the enemy is not a result of us being in a sinful place. It's actually the opposite. Opposition from the enemy is because the enemy is like Sanballat and Tobiah and sees the wall going up and becomes very angry. And he says, I'm going to start to oppose them. I want to stop the good work that they have started. Some of us might be thinking that. You might be thinking, man, 
God, I've been working hard. I've been obedient. I feel like this year I've been like more devoted to you, God. I feel like I've been more obedient. I feel like I've, my character has grown. I feel, Lord, like I, I'm hearing your voice. I'm, I'm maturing. Why is opposition coming to me? Why? And, and sometimes I say, God, why? Why are you allowing us to go through hard times? Why is it so hard to continue to press in? Why can't everything just be easy? Well, Peter encourages us, and he says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. He said, Beloved, that's us, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Right? It's strange when you're doing good to reap harshness, to reap trials. But God tells us, listen, if that's happening, you're in the sweet spot. Take comfort in knowing that the enemy doesn't like what is happening. Take comfort. Rejoice even to know what God has called us to. When we put our hands to it, we know there will be opposition, but we're in exactly right where God wants us to be. I want, I want to say this as well, just making it even more personal for us this morning. Sometimes we hear sermons and we're kind of like, oh, that's, that's good in a general way. I, I've been feeling lately for probably the past month, and I, I shared this with Ryan and Steph, just, we, we were praying about this a couple weeks ago, about how I feel like there's a constant pushing and pressing of the enemy against our church. And what I felt, what I saw was this picture of the enemy on the other side of a door and us just saying, nope, nope, we're not gonna give in. Nope, nope, you cannot come in. Nope, nope, you're not, we're not gonna relent. And he was just waiting just for a moment where we would get tired enough, where we would kind of give in, where we would just say, I, I don't think he's really gonna make good on his threats. I'm, I'm pretty tired about keeping him at bay. I'm tired of resisting the enemy. So I'm just going to like rest on my laurels for a little bit. I'm going to just chill out for a second. And then I just saw this picture of the enemy coming straight in. And the enemy was like this, this darkness that was just pushing against this door. And I felt very specifically for, the, for us in Chino that it, it will manifest in ways of relationships. It'll manifest in ways of gossip. It'll manifest in ways that we, we kind of harmlessly experience every day out there. But if we're not vigilant, I felt like the enemy was just saying, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for my opportunity. And what I want to tell us, church, is that the enemy will take at any, any opportunity that he has. Will you stand with me? Will you stand with the leadership? Will you stand with us as a church and say, we're not going to give the enemy one tiny inch when he opposes us? This is uh, what Winston, you knew there was going to be a Winston Churchill quote in here, right? And, and this, here's the funny thing. We often think Winston Churchill said, never give up. And it almost sounds better, but this is what he actually said. I think we have the quote. There it is. It says, if you could imagine an old, grumpy, bulldog, British bull voice, never give in, never give in, never, 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 never. In nothing great or small, large or petty, never Give in, except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force, 
never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Now, Winston Churchill, why is he saying this? Because it was time of war. He was a, a brilliant war prime minister. He wasn't a great peacetime prime minister, right? We know that if you know history. But he was a brilliant wartime prime minister. Why? Because he had a dogged diligence to never giving in to the enemy. And if I could, if I could like superimpose this never give in on our hearts this morning somehow, if I could just flip a switch, man, I wish I could for us. And my encouragement, it's when it gets tough, when it's hard, when the enemy opposes us, don't give in. Stand strong. Stand shoulder to shoulder. So I'm going to give us some points here through the rest of this chapter. How, how should we respond when the enemy opposes us? Let's pick up here in verse... 14, the Jews are saying, come back to us. What are you doing? You're crazy. It'll be better here. Just give up. You, your lives won't be in danger. The enemy is saying, hey, we're going to take you out. You won't even see us coming. The people are starting to look at the rubble and say there's too much. And this is how Nehemiah responds. And he says this in verse 14. And, and this is like the Braveheart moment, Right? And I looked and I arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, okay, I'm just going to do it. You guys are right with that? I'm just going to go for my best Scottish accent. Do not be afraid of them, right? <laughs> Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. All right, I'll stop. <laughs> Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, for your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So Nehemiah comes to them and he says, yes, I understand the opposition. Yes, I understand that you, we've strengthened our hands, but that's beginning to fail. Yes, I see the remaining rubble. Yes, I know they said they're going to come upon us in the whatever time of day you're not going to expect it. But this is what I want us to do. I want you to remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who is great and and awesome. When you are facing opposition, what are we supposed to do? Look at the rubble? What are we supposed to do? Look at how much we have left to do? I can do this so often. I go through the week and thoughts are running through my mind and all of the things that I know that need to take place, all of the things that I know that God wants to establish in the church that still haven't happened yet, I tend sometimes to look at the rubble and go, oh, there's too much. There's too much for us to do, God. We can't do this. And then I have to go back to Nehemiah chapter 4 and hear his words in my ears and say, remember the Lord who is what? Who is great and who is awesome. And my encouragement to us, friends, this morning is if you're starting to feel like the rubble is piling up, if you're starting to feel like, man, I've done half of it, but I don't know if I can do the other half. I've given my time. I'm starting to look at the field that God has prepared for this church, and it's a lot of work. Don't look at the rubble. Get your eyes up. Get your eyes up. Lift your heart up and look at the Lord and remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Here's what it means to remember the Lord who is, great as awesome, who is great and awesome. The thing is that we often forget 
It's not that God changes who he is. We know that God is the same today. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He will never change. And he's all of who he is all of the time. He never changes. But the problem is, is that we somehow look at the rubble and go, oh, God's not good anymore. Oh, God's not strong. Oh, that's not awesome. Because we compare God to this rubble that lays. But when we lift our eyes and we tell ourselves the truth of who God is, that he is the creator of all things. That he spoke and with one word, the universe came into existence. That he created the stars, the number of stars that are unfathomable. That we cannot even know where the universe ends. And it's eternal. And God, all he did is say, let it be. Existed. And we get our heads down myopic and we start belly button gazing. <laughs> and no, he's saying, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. This is what Psalm, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm uh, 121 says this, if I can find it here. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's not very long. It says this in Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who, what? Who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your helper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time and forevermore. Who is the Lord? Where does my help come? Look at all this rubble. I lift my eyes. My help comes from the Lord who did what? Who made heaven and earth. Surely the maker of heaven and earth is greater than the opposition that I face. Surely the maker of heaven and earth is greater than the, than the works that God has called us to that when we put our hands to the plow that we get tired to. Surely he is good and merciful and grace, graceful and he will give us the strength to do what he has called us to do. Daniel 11.32 says this in the New King James Version. Sometimes you just got to go back to the New King James. All right, come on. It says, the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. What that's saying is, when we forget the truth of who God is, and we try to do stuff in our own strength, it's pretty <laughs> But when we know the truth of who God is, and we put our hope and trust in him, that's when greatness happens. It's like, who's your dad, right? Remember that on the, on the, the playground when you are a kid? My dad could beat up your dad. Nuh-uh, my dad's richer than your dad. Nuh-uh, my dad has 10 cars. Like, that's all exaggeration. But you remember that feeling of, like, if your dad was awesome, it was okay. And we have an awesome God. We have an awesome dad. So we need to remember the Lord. What else do we need to do? Uh, we need to remember what we're fighting for. And he says this again in verse 14. He says, remember 
Remember who you're fighting for. You're fighting for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Who are we fighting for? Well, one, we're fighting for each other. We're fighting for each other. When, when somebody's weak, when somebody's down, when somebody starts to get their head on the rubble, what do we do? We fight, we fight, we fight, we fight. We never, never, never give in because there's others around us who need our strength. But the other thing that God's called us to is that I'm going to remind us again, the good work that God said for us, Southlands Chino, is not inside just these four walls. It's outside of these four walls. It's, it's for the people that will one day confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's for the people that when you go to work or when you go home or when you go to the, your, your, your park or when we hang out and watch the fireworks this Saturday, wherever it is, it's for the person that you're going to be sitting to in the lawn chair next to you and somehow they go, hey, what's, what's going on here? How come there's like a Southlands Church banner? Where, where are you guys at? It's for that person who's like, I don't like church. It's for that person who jeers you at work and says, oh, you Christians, you're all hypocrites. It's for the people that in our family are little kids who haven't confessed the name of Jesus yet. It's for the disciples that will one day say, Jesus is Lord. And that's what we're fighting for. And the encouragement is don't give up. Don't give in. Because when the enemy says, who are you guys to think that you can get people saved? Who are you to think that this small little group of people is going to make any kind of difference in this city? We start to believe it. Yeah, no, 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 no. We don't give in and we remember the call, the good work, who we're fighting for. The lies that will come to Jesus. Say this with me. In Chino as it is in heaven. One more time. In Chino as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. That's what we want to see happen. Not only do we remember the Lord who's great and awesome, not only do we remember who and what we're fighting for, but we got to return to the work. Verse 15 through 21 says this. Nehemiah gives the Braveheart speech, and then 15 happens. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that our God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. So, when, when, when the people knew that like the, the, the threats and they, that God was protecting them, they, they went back to work. In verse 16, from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the, the whole house of Judah uh, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. Verse 21, so we labored at the work and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the, uh, until the stars came out. So what's happening here? What, what's taking place is Sanballat, Tobiah, threatening them, saying, hey, we're going to kill you. They pray. God protects them. They, they, they recognize the protection of God, and they're like, all right, let's get back to work, guys. And although they were tired, although they were 
maybe still fearful, they said, no, we're resolute. We're going to continue to do what God's called us to do because we're going to fight for our brothers. We're going to fight for our sisters, for our wives, for our kids, for our homes. And we're doing this from a place where we're remembering the greatness of our God. And then Nehemiah does something. He says, I know that you're tired. I know that you're you're really weary, but keep on working. (laughs) And And I want to say, Man, there, there are times where I want to say, guys, it's okay. I get it. It's hard. Why don't you just take a little nap? But a good leader doesn't do that. A good leader says, don't give in. Don't quit. Now, what I'm not saying is don't take a vacation. I'm not saying when you're wounded, don't heal. There's a difference between saying I need to recoup and there's a difference between saying, between saying, I'm going to quit. I'm going to give up. And Nehemiah did not let them give up. Nehemiah did not let them quit. It says they worked from dawn to dusk. In the morning when the sun came up, until the stars came out. And then when the stars came out, when it was dark, they had a guard on the, on the walls. 24-7, somebody was doing something, protecting them. And sometimes in our mercy heart, maybe if you're leading people, you just want to go, oh, it's okay. I know the enemy's crouching at the door. I know, and I know you're like, it's hard resisting. Just, just take a little nap. But a good leader doesn't do that. And I feel under the authority of God to encourage us not to quit when the enemy is pushing against us, when we're facing opposition. Do I want to... Do I want to lead you where God's leading us? Yes, and, and, I, and, and in my desire, I hope that is moments of streams of just beautiful rivers and green grass, like Psalm 23, where he causes us to lay down, right? There are seasons for that. But even in those seasons, God never says, quit, it's too hard. I'll understand. It's okay if the enemy runs wild in your ranks. No, no. Stand strong, be firm. The work is hard. You know what? I'm going to tell you this. I think the track record for this is 100%. It never, never goes well when somebody comes up to me and says, I just want to chill out from the church. I want to chill out from community. I want to chill out from the responsibilities God has given me in the church. I just need some me time never goes well. Because what ends up happening is the enemy isolates. And that's a strategy of the enemy. And he isolates and he pulls us away from the community where we find our strength. He says, you could do this on your own. You just need to chill a little bit. There might be people here this morning wrestling with that, just saying, I just want to chill. I just want to like quit. I just want to like, I just want to be an observer. I don't want to be a participant. But God's called us to an all y'all kind of church. You guys okay? All right. I know that's a little strong, but I mean, let me just lighten the mood a little bit. Lord of the Rings. Um, it's a moment, moment in Lord of the Rings where if you, know the, if you know the story, Gandalf is like, he's like the, the, the uncle that everybody loves and they feel safe when he, and he, and he seems, he falls down this crevice with an enemy, and they get out, and they find themselves safe, and they find themselves outside of this cave where all these orcs 
they're fighting, but they get out and they're just weeping. They're, they're sad and they, they, they're so sad they can't even like get to their feet. And Aragorn, the, the strong leader, he tells Boromir, he says, Boromir, get them up. And Boromir says, give them a moment of rest for pity's sake, right? That's my best, Boromir. And he says, by nightfall, this area will be crawling with our enemy. And every time I watch that, I go, man, what a jerk. And then I go, I know exactly how he feels. Because if you guys are saying, give us a moment for pity's sake, and I go, there, there, the enemy will come in and destroy us. And I want to say to us, get your legs underneath you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Because by nightfall, the enemy will run rampant. And if we give him an inch, he'll take it. And this leads me to the last point here is that, oh no, this isn't the last point, sorry. Psych! Number four, look at this, and I'll read it quick. I'll try to be quick. Verses 4, 19 through 20, it says this. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. Verse 20, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. And in our opposition, in our fighting, we need to rally to one another. There will be times where some of us are strong and some of us are weak. Some of us will find ourselves really able and stoked and like, yes, let's go charge that mountain. Woohoo! And then some of us are like, I've been charging the mountain. I can't charge it anymore. And what ends up happening is the walls begin to get breached. And what Nehemiah says, when you see the enemy, when opposition comes your way, when you're starting to feel the weakness creep in, sound the trumpet. And my encouragement to us this morning is, sound the trumpet. Don't let pride stop you from sounding the trumpet. If you think somehow, like, well, this is my station, this is my area in the wall, and what will people think of me if I admit that I am weak? What will people think of me if I'm starting to see the enemy rush in in these areas of my life? I better be proud and try to do this all on my own. No, sound the trumpet. Don't let pride stop you. Sound that trumpet with passion. Sound that trumpet with pride. I just said don't be proud, but sound that trumpet with all that you have and say, that's like an Ewok one, right? I am in trouble. The enemy's over here. I know you guys are working hard over here, but it's, they're rushing in. They're breaching the walls. I need help. I can't do this on my own. And then... To the other side of it, I would say, friends, don't let pride stop you from going and running to the trouble. Don't say, well, man, I've been working really hard. Look how level and nice my wall is, and so-and-so can't even like, keep their wall together. And they're having, they must be really incompetent because the enemy has found a weak spot in their life. What a bunch of arrogance. What a bunch of junk. No, if you hear the trumpet, run to it. There's going to be moments where I'm going to sound the trumpet. I need you to run. I need you. And you need me. We need each other. All right, number five. Always be vigilant. Look at this in verse 21 and 23. It says, So we labored at the work, and half of them held spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night, 
and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Man, I don't know if they were stinky or not, but they didn't change, right? They, they were always vigilant. They were always ready for the enemy to be rushing in. At every moment, they always had a sword. They were always expecting the enemy. And I want to say this just like I was talking about the enemy on that door. He is not, here's the thing about the enemy. He doesn't fight fair. He doesn't care. He doesn't like beat us down to the ground and then go, oh, 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 oh I went a little too far there. My bad. There's no Geneva Convention war crimes with spiritual warfare. The enemy doesn't care, and he doesn't fight fair. And lest we think somehow, I've been pretty pummeled, I've been pretty beat up, the enemy's going to look at me and pity me and go, okay, let's give him a moment to recoup. It doesn't work that way. The enemy is always, 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 always looking for an opportune moment. It's like the cheetah in the grass looking for that one impala who thought, I'm too tired to stay with the group. I'm too tired to kind of do their thing, kind of want to do my thing and go over here, put my head down, and then the next thing, that impala is a snack. And that's what the enemy does, and he, we need to be vigilant. Uh, Peter says this in five, chapter 5, verse 8, First Peter, be sober-minded be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, what? Prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Oh my gosh, look at the time. Zach, will you come up here, bro? I just asked Zach, I want him to share a story, and, and let me preface it by this. I would hate, and I, I'm trusting in God that this encouragement to fight and for us to be one people, it, there's a fruitfulness to be had in it. Because what I'm not trying to do is just get us all to like the same kind of soda, you know? Dress the same way. It's, it's because, again, what we're fighting for, there's people, there's lives that are at stake in that matter. And so I, I just want him to share a story of just God doing something amazing, and it's a fruit of us doing what God's called us to do. That works too. I met a man yesterday morning at the God's Pantry food drive across the street. Um, before I even get to that, I woke up, I don't know, for some reason slightly bitter. I'm like, oh gosh, okay, here we go. Got to get into the serving mentality here on my drive. I didn't necessarily feel like I wanted to serve until I got there and was already serving. Anyway, I met this man in the midst of serving at the food drive. And uh, this was a, a man questioning his faith. I, I guess he grew up with a Catholic background. Um, he had many great questions, and so um, after he kind of gathered his things, uh, we had a chance to talk, and he had so many good apologetic questions that I got to just dialogue with him about. So many great questions in, in, in a fashion that I didn't really know how to answer them, and I was feeling really humbled. I'm like, shoot, I can't remember the scripture right now, but I don't want to relent. Like, no, I'm in this. Well, I'm going to win his soul kind of mentality. <laughs> um, and, and so... I, after that conversation, it was fruitful, and I'm like, okay, I feel like he might come to church. I got to invite him. I'm like, hey, Mira, the church across the street, like, that's where I go. I come, come, and um, so I don't know if he's going to come or not, but after our conversation, I'm like, okay, I think I'm good now, and I was about to walk away, and I'm like, you know what? 
now I'm going to pray for him. And I was just thinking in the back of my mind, I'm just going to pray kind of a, you know, a generic prayer just to bless him. And so I did. I, I blessed him and prayed for him. And, and after I finished the conversation, he started crying. Uh, and he's an older man. And uh, I, just, I just stopped for a second. I put my hand on his shoulder. And, and I'm like, what's, what's going on? What's wrong? And um, he, he shared a lot of details. I'm going to spare you this morning um, to, you know, keep him, you know, safe from, from displaying those details. But in other words, he, uh, 20 years ago, had, uh, had to, he was put in a position where he had to defend his family, and, and he felt guilty for, for um, some things he had to do. And, uh, and eventually his family, he had to move from where he was to here in Chino. And he carried this guilt of this sin he thought he couldn't be forgiven of for 20 years. And he still didn't feel forgiven at that moment. And he said, I just don't, I don't feel forgiven. I don't believe God could, could forgive me. And so it was just so cool. I got to um, explain that forgiveness is not a feeling. Just like salvation is not a feeling. It's a position. And the feelings sometimes follow eventually, I'm, I'm sure they will, sometimes they won't, um, but it's not about feeling it, and so I got to walk him through kind of a repeat after me prayer, he just got delivered, he just got delivered from 20 years of guilt, and um, it, I almost didn't pray for him, almost didn't pray for him, I was walking away, and uh, just little moments like that, I almost didn't even want to go, to say that even further, so little things like that, it's crazy how even the tiniest little things, we change uh, what we want to do because I'm not feeling it and step in yeah. and somebody's life can be radically changed forever and that generational difference could be changed radically yeah. because of that little moment so yeah. that was pretty cool so good bro that was beautiful so I mean this is such application gets up feeling grumpy right feeling grumpy with God bitter like and uh, like I'm tired I don't want to do this presses in. I'm not going to give in. This is what God's called me to do. What's the result? Somebody's life's changed. I mean, that's, that is like, oh, Kelly, you're talking about all this stuff out there. No, no, no. That's it right there. There it is. It's, it's, that's what we're called to do. Will that guy ever come to this church? I don't know. We're not here to get big numbers. We're here to be obedient to what God's called us to do. Let me end with this. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Therefore, Southlands Chino, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, Southlands, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Will you stand with me?